0: I'm, I'm still agile enough to just come up. Not that old yet. Praise God. Yes. It gives me hinds feet. Well, good uh, morning, all of you. Uh, as you can see, my wife Evelyn is not uh, in the church today because my daughter from the US and her family have just arrived this morning uh, at 10, so she has to go and pick her uh, and won't be at church today. And so I'm really excited that my family has come back and uh, spending some time. Um, This morning, I'm I'm going to continue that series um, on the Seven Love Letters. And um, let's just get straight into that because... We are dealing with Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, which is on the church of Smyrna, all right? And uh, let's just pray as we begin to look into this uh, part of the Bible. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that nothing can be achieved without your work, Holy Spirit, so, I declare an atmosphere of faith in our midst. Remove every skepticism, every thing that would hinder us from receiving your word fully today, and let it take root. I cover this place with your precious blood that you'll protect your word, and uh, so that the, that word can get deep into our hearts and bring about that transformation and refreshing. Uh, just as Kevin and Carissa have have shared. Not Carissa, and Anne have shared. And I just pray that indeed you will move us from the place of complacency into that place that you want us to be in. So Holy Spirit come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are looking at the um, Church of Smyrna and it's located just... Some overview first. I think it's good to get the context of uh, what we are talking about. Uh, We are talking about this place in Turkey. Actually, the seven churches are all in Turkey. It's not in Israel. And um, that's because uh, the Apostle John was uh, in prison in the island of Patmos, which is off Turkey near um, Ephesus. And uh, it's it's part of Greece, but it's very close to Turkey. And so Jesus then appears to him and gives him uh, these uh, messages to the seven churches which are in Turkey. And those days, actually, Turkey uh, became ablaze with the gospel. And the gospel really made tremendous inroads into Turkey. Turkey at that time... I, I don't know if it was called Turkey. I, I don't think it was called Turkey, but uh, became a Christian region. A lot of Christians came about. And, and so as a result, you have Constantinople, which became Istanbul. But those days, Constantinople became uh, like a capital of the uh, eastern part of Christendom. Christianity was really strong in those days. And so you had two centers, Rome, which represented the West, and Constantinople, which is Istanbul, as you can see up there, uh, became the the center of Christianity, the capital of Christianity for the eastern part. And uh, over the centuries, unfortunately, Turkey became Muslim. And so, those seven churches have, by and large, disappeared. Uh, There are a few underground house churches now. But, you know, in the early days, the uh, Christians there really took heed to the warnings from God. And so, the gospel really spread uh, from uh, Turkey. But... You know, this is kind of a warning to us to see that even though things may have started really well in Turkey and, you know, became a center of Christianity and all that, and if we are not careful over the years, uh, from one generation to the next, so I'm really concerned about generations, that we make sure that not only are we on fire for the Lord, but our next generation will keep the fire burning and and for future generations because within one generation, we can lose it. We've seen that in the West. We've seen that in England. One generation in Australia, apparently when Billy Graham visited Australia in 1959 or 7, I I can't remember now, around that time, I, I, I heard or read that, about 75% of, of Australians attended church. And today, it's less than 5%. So sad, isn't it? And so we've really got to take heed to the warnings from the Lord. And so let me just read this uh, passage, uh, which is a letter uh, To the church of Smyrna. Smyrna now is called Izmir. By the way, in in modern times, the town is called Izmir. It's a very small kind of town or village. And to the church, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let me just pause that for a moment. Here it's addressing a church, telling them that they are about to suffer. Can you imagine that, you know? Uh, Giving a message to someone, hey, you are about to suffer. That's not a very... Encouraging prophecy, but you know sometimes that happens, and because you know to be honest, the Western Church doesn't know much about suffering. We really don't understand what suffering really is about, or persecution is all about. And I'll go more into that in in a moment. But it says you will have tribulation ten days, but. You know, many people think, oh, they only just suffered for 10 days. But actually, this is symbolic. Because 10 is uh, a symbol of completeness. Like you have 10 commandments, the 10 plagues uh, uh, hitting um, Egypt. So when... When it's completed, when the plagues were completed, there are 10 of them, 10 commandments, the completion of all the uh, basic commandments that God wanted to give to his people. So 10 and tithe as well, the a complete sacrifice that we give unto the Lord. So number 10 represents completion of the tribulation. Uh, you will be tested until it is complete. Sometimes we want our suffering and tribulation to end halfway. But, you know, God doesn't uh, do that because he knows that there is a time for the completion of that trial so that you will be completely cleansed. And we want out of it. We want, oh God, this is too much for it. Get me out of here. But, uh, you know, uh, my brother-in-law used to buy this gadget, this, this box and with chains around it, and it was in his house. And when you touch it, the sound comes on. It says, get me out of here, help, get me out of here. <laughs> As though there's somebody in that box, you know. And, and we are like that. We want to get out of this suffering, this difficulty. Who doesn't want to? But, you know, in the midst of that, we are being purified And we are being conformed to the image of Christ, as we shall see in a moment. To be faithful, even until death, and we will have the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, what's the second death that uh, this passage talks about what is the first death. We all know what's the first death. When you die physically, that's your first death. All of us will have to encounter the first death. I know some people live longer, like Hal Oxley, 102. He's still healthy and strong, still alive. He'll probably be around 120, you know. Might live, some of us even. But eventually... All of us will die. That's the first death. Let's see what the Bible says is the second death. The second death actually is the lake of fire. Because it says here later on in Revelations 21.8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Hey, make sure you don't lie anymore, you know, after have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the lake of fire. So what God is saying is that whether you believe it or not, the lake of fire is real. It's the second death. And the world is heading towards that. You can argue till the cows come home. You can use your rationale. You can use your PhD to work out uh, why this is ridiculous. This is how God is so unmerciful to send people to the uh, lake of fire. You can talk and talk and talk. The fact is, it's real. I can't explain to you why it's real, but it's there. And God's task, is to get us to avoid that. He, he doesn't want the people in the world, he doesn't want the world to hit or end up in the lake of fire. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want us to experience the second death. That's why he's doing everything possible to reach out to the world with the gospel. The gospel simply means the good news of Jesus Christ. I think if we have a glimpse or a revelation of the lake of fire, it'll change our life. I haven't had it. (laughs) I'll probably be more on fire if I had it. There's a guy called, pastor in Indonesia called Pastor Philip Mentofa. He has a, a huge church now, but he's really used, by the Lord, he's a very talented person, he graduated from, uh, to, from uh, Canada and so on, he's got a beautiful wife, Is very talented and he's an artist as well, he paints beautiful paintings and I've seen some of the paintings, it's really wonderful but he was kind of cruising along as a Christian until he had that experience when God took him in spirit to hell and to the lake of fire. And when he came back, he was never the same again. And he began to preach about that. And in everywhere he went, when he preached, signs and wonders happened. But the greatest signs and wonder that happened in his ministry was when he began to preach hellfire and, uh, and give an altar call, hundreds of people will run from their seats to the front and kneel down and give their life to Jesus. And so he came to our church, our mother church in FGA Kuala Lumpur some years back to the Chinese church, Chinese speaking church. That time our Chinese speaking church was very small. It was like, uh, I mean small, relatively small, was about like uh, 900 or 1,000 people. But it was mainly older people, all right? The mothers and fathers of members of the English church, older people. But when Philip Menthofer came and preached about his experience of seeing hell and the reality of hell, there were probably about 100 or so uh, Chinese youth who were so impacted by the Holy Spirit, they rushed and ran down crying to the altar. And they became ablaze with the fire of God. And these hundred or so young Chinese, Chinese Chinese-speaking members of our Chinese church became so on fire that many of them began to change their jobs and, and all that. And they began going to Pataling Street, which is Chinatown, every day to evangelize and preach the gospel. And today, that Chinese youth group alone, youth group, has grown to 5,000 members. This is real. The Chinese congregation had a glimpse of the lake of fire, and that's why they changed. You know, when we talk about death, we we take desperate measures when we face life and death situations, don't we? I mean, look at this guy hanging, <laughs> you know, hanging onto the building, about to drop off from that building. Death and life situation. My, I tell you, you take desperate measures when you are... In, in, in a very desperate situation or when you're hit with a terminal disease or whatever it is, you'll do anything to get well. You'll do anything to be secure, to be safe. And so even with this guy who's hanging up there, you know, you, you're shouting for help or whatever, and, and people will come around you to try to rescue you, to, to help you. But... We, we are so concerned about our life here on earth, but what about eternal life and eternal death? Do we take desperate measures about our eternal death and eternal life? God wants us to have eternal life, not eternal death. But you know, eternal death in the lake of fire, is just real. Many people who commit suicide think that, oh, you know, my life here on earth is so miserable, I just want to end it, I'll go to Sweden, is it Sweden or Switzerland? Switzerland to to have euthanasia there to end my life and that's the end of my life. No, it's not. It's the beginning of real misery and torment. It's the lake of fire. So, if we are, when we are so concerned about, you know, life and death situations here, but what about eternal life and death? And that's the backdrop to this whole message. Because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. There will be not only a great revival in the end, but the Bible prophesies that there will be a great, great falling away. Many, many millions of people will fall away from the faith. You know, in my Um, journey as a pastor, and and, you know, I minister to pastors around the world. I've interacted with a lot of people over my life. I've seen so many promising people fall away from ministry, from their faith, from their trust in God. My own classmate uh, who was doing MDiv at Regent University, he was a very uh, astute a student, very good student, and he was sent by a church from Malaysia uh, and, and on, on sponsorship, on scholarship by the church uh, to study the same course. I, I only did an MA, but he did MDiv, which is a year uh, more than, than myself, um, and, and so we were classmates because he's fellow Malaysian, we became very good friends, we went to the same church as well, and, there was, uh, uh, and and he was really on fire, really wanting to serve God, to be a pastor, to win the world for Christ, and, and so on. Um, but one thing I noticed about him was there's one characteristic of him that was uh, not very good. And that was uh, he likes to use people. He likes to uh, get take but not give. And so, he would go to the same church as me, and uh, it was a good church, and he he really used that church. I mean, he got the church to help him move, to to, uh, give things, furniture to him, and and he had a project that he needed to do within the church. He, He did it in that church together with me, and so on, so we were in the same church together. And after... He got all that he needed from the church. <laughs> he quit the church and went to another church, you know, and and so there was a trait uh, a trait of unfaithfulness in him, uh, which in his character. But you know, in his second year of uh, uni, his pastor from Malaysia fell, and you know was devastated. He was devastated his uh, support from that church also somewhat dwindled, and uh that church actually decimated and um and so that was one hit on him right and then after he graduated so he graduated a year later he he was actually the ducks of uh his course he was the top student and uh and and so he then join a Filipino church as like a assistant pastor associate pastor looking after youth and and various ministry but uh, I, I I didn't see him after that because I left America uh, America and and came over to Australia and we started the church and few years down the road when Evelyn and I were taking a break um, I think that was a time when I handed over to you Chris and so I went to Switzerland, uh, to the James Bond place up in the the mountains there, you know. And of all places, I met him there, in that room where they were showing James Bond, you know, that that scenery uh, because it's a tourist attraction. And in the dark, I spotted him, and uh, so we, we we got acquainted again. And he was pouring out to me his bitterness. Uh, Uh, about what's happened to him, that he was so disappointed with senior pastor. He went to this Filipino church, was the associate pastor, and he told me that associate, that senior pastor uh, became threatened by him because he got more popular than uh, than the senior pastor. And so that senior pastor quickly got rid of him, you know, and he got hurt by that, and one hurt after another. And to the point that he now doesn't even attend church. Can you see a guy, a a pastor uh, in making, who was so on fire for God in Bible college, could end up to a place where his heart no longer trusts God. I don't know whether he still believed in God. I don't know where he is now. Hopefully, he's come back to the Lord. But, you know, this falling away It's so real. I've seen that in so many Christians. And that's why this letter was written because the end goal of the book of Revelation is to enable the church to be the overcoming bride or church and not fall away in the light of the temptations and trials and suffering and tribulations uh, the church or she would face in life. In real life, You know, it's not a bed of roses, let me tell you that. Many people get disillusioned with Christianity because they've been told when you believe in Christ, oh, you know, everything will be good. Jesus will bless you. The prosperity gospel tells you that you will be rich. You will be prosperous. You will be healthy. You will have peace for eternity. You have great joy in Christ. To a certain extent, there's some truth to that. But there's also, like a bed of roses, (laughs) a lot of thorns. And and that's often not preached. So today's message is about the bed of thorns. And it's real. So God tells us in Ephesians 5.27 that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. See, God doesn't want us to have wrinkles. Maybe, you know, it's better than all the ST louder you apply on your face. No, it's not talking about the physical spot or wrinkle. It's talking about your spiritual condition. That he desires to prepare us to be that kind of Christian church, to be the kind of uh, believer that has no spot or wrinkle in you spiritually. You may be wrinkled all up in your old age, but nevertheless, inside of you is a beautiful person. And when you go to be with the Lord, wow, you know, you'll be glorious. That's the kind of church He wants. So God has to do something in order to present the church a, 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 a wonderful bride that is without spot and wrinkle. That's why He writes these, uh, these seven letters. I, I look at these seven letters as seven challenges that God's church has to overcome. It's not so much the seven churches, but it's the seven things, seven challenges that the church at large has to face. And so I'm giving you the overview. I'm not taking the thunder out of the other messages. But the first message that Pastor Chris uh, spoke last week is about not losing that first love. What's that about? That's about idolatry. It's not, get, it's not being lukewarm. That's different. That's later on. But this is about putting other things more important. Loving other things more than God. What's that? That's idolatry. We may, not, we may have come from Taoism or Buddhism. Many of us have, have come from that I. I was converted from Taoism or Buddhism at the age of 20. So we used to worship idols, you know, real idols. And uh, many of you are familiar with that. We are not talking about that kind of idolatry. But in our hearts, many of us are still in idolatry. We still have idols in our hearts. And... uh, and, and so that's the church of Ephesus, that's the first challenge uh, to overcome idolatry. The second one, which is the one I'm dealing with, it's about tribulation and persecution and suffering that uh, we will face, and how we can overcome that. How can we handle suffering in our life? Many many Christians can't, and because of Persecution or tribulation or suffering, they fall away. These are the things that will cause you and I to fall away. Never think that you are so spiritual, so holy, so close to God that you'll never fall away. The moment you think that, you've already fallen. All right? Really, it's true. If you think that, oh, you know, I'm so anointed, I'm so holy. You know, I'm pastor so and so. I'm bishop so and so. I am so powerful. I'm so close to God. Wherever I go, you know, I carry the presence of God. Even Benny Hinn fell, right? And so we've got to be careful. Sadis is about spiritual deadness. A dead person, what's, what's the characteristic about a dead person? They don't respond even if you prick them <laughs> pinch them they don't respond right we were trying to raise a dead woman we in malaysia it, when i first became a pastor and for one hour we prayed for her to rise up from the dead after an hour we were all exhausted and she was dead like <laughs> dead like anything like a like a block you know and then, this is in Malaysia, where the embalmers came to embalm her. And we had no experience about embalming. And in Malaysia, they do it very crudely. They, they came, they poke the needle with a tube, to, and they pump in formalin into, uh, into her to preserve her body. But we didn't realize that the moment you pump formalin, it's like a, a flat tire you the stuff in, it becomes, and she sat up suddenly. Wow, it frightened us all. We said, wow, you know, we thought our prayers had worked. And, and the guy says, don't worry, he just pushed her down, pumped again, and she sat up again. Wow, you know, then we realized it's not our prayers, it's the formalin. Some of us are not responsive to God anymore. We could be like the church in Pergamos where we compromise with the world, the challenge of compromise, or immorality with Tythera. Philadelphia, lack of strength and perseverance due to discouragement. And lastly, the uh, Laodicean church, which is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I won't go into all of that, but my focus Today, is on Smyrna or Izmir. Jesus' words to the believers in Smyrna encouraged them in the face of coming persecution. The persecution was often economic, like the loss of job or financial wealth. Hence, Jesus reminded them that they are spiritually rich, even though materially poor. Some of you may lose your job over time, and, and and your finances may suffer. And it's those times, some people respond really well to God during those times. They seek God even more. And I, I know Roger went through that at, at, at one time in his life, that he it caused him to even seek God even more. But some people feel that God has abandoned them, and they depart from the Lord. Now, in those days, um, during that time of, uh, in, in Izmir or uh, in Smyrna, there was a, a, an early church father there called Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna and a disciple of the Apostle John. He was a direct disciple of Apostle John. John, And at 86 years old, he was burned at the stake for refusing to renounce his faith in Christ. These were his last words. He says, For 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You know, and he, he, he was burned to death. But you know, we read of many reports when many of the martyrs were being burned at the stake, Many of them couldn't even feel the pain. They actually bathed in the flames. They actually put their hand in the flames. I mean, physically, they were burning, but they didn't feel the pain because their spirit was being taken by the Lord. And it was a testimony to to many around them, seeing them dying, but they, they weren't screaming or crying. They were rejoicing in the Lord. Now, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the persecution that's going on in the world right now. There's more than 70 million Christians have been martyred in the course of the history, in the course of history. From the beginning to now, they estimated about 70 million Christians have been martyred. Can you imagine that? 70 million! (laughs) That's how many times the population of Australia... More than half were martyred in the 20th century under communists and fascists. In the 21st century, roughly 100,000 to 160,000 Christians were killed each year. That's a big number. So each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as uh, uh, beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and uh, forced marriages, particularly in Muslim countries. Our personal friend, uh, Pastor Raymond Cole, was abducted. He was kidnapped in Malaysia. You all know that. Right? And uh, I think and he wrote a book about um, praying for the different states of Malaysia. I think that was his mistake. It threatened the, the Muslim people so much. I think the Muslim people abducted him. He's totally disappeared. I think he's probably dead. But uh, five days before he was abducted, he gave his book, uh, a, a signed copy of his book to me through Rodney. All right, Rodney, are you around? Yeah. Yes, you remember, Rodney, you gave me that book, but that was five days before he was abducted. So till now, there are a few other pastors who have been abducted. It's really happening, and it's real. And, and Pastor Raymond Cole was here with us in our church for a few months. Many of us uh, had him in our home. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or neighbours because of their faith. Sixty countries. It's happening. But we in Australia have not had the real taste of persecution. Roughly one million and so Christians were martyred worldwide between two thousand, the year 2000 and, and 2010. So in 2 Timothy 2, and, and the verses are there, It says in verse 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is a fine example of one who suffered much for the gospel. He is such a man of God, and yet he was willing to suffer for the gospel. And, you know, in 2 Timothy 2.3, it tells us that we need to learn to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers, you know, if you've been in the army, you know, Daniel you you've been trained as a fighter pilot and, and in the army i'm sure at the beginning you really had to endure a lot of hardship correct and uh, that's why he, he looks so tough <laughs> i i wouldn't dare pick a fight with him you know <laughs> these army people even though you know later in their age they still look robust you know they still look tough because they they've been through all this enduring uh uh what do you call the drills, and they go, go through mud, they have to climb all these obstacles and train them, and especially the seals right they are they They go through rigorous training as a soldier, and that's the same with us Christians. many of us are too much like soft tofu. We are all tofu Christians a little bit of pain, a little bit of of things not going right with you, Ah, forget about church, forget about God. God, Christianity is too hard. God is not real. Where is God in my troubles? You gripe, 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 gripe. Why? Because you are Taufu Christians. (laughs) Be a soldier. Be a Navy SEAL for God. Amen? You know, tribulation. Christians in the West suffer tribulation of a different kind. The kind of troubles we suffer is nothing like this, the, the, the kind that Christians in China are suffering. I've met pastors who have been to jail for 10 times. 10 times. There's one pastor who's so afraid of going back to jail. And, and he has scars all over his face. Pastor Chong, I, I met him many years ago. And every time he goes to jail, they chain him to a bed and they use electric prods to, to prod him and beat him. And this, even despite all the beatings and all the persecution, he still, still continues to stay strong in the Lord. I mean, he, he, he really... These pastors put us to shame, you know, and you know, the kind of we 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 experience subtle persecution. We in our society we have the antichrist spirit there, we have to conform to political correctness, we face ridicule and discrimination. When we tell people that we are Christians, yes, that's the kind of subtle persecution we experience. If you are against LGBT lifestyle, you suffer persecution nowadays in, in our society because you cannot, you have to be politically correct. You cannot say that you are against these things or that the Bible speaks against these things, not, not because God hates them, God loves these people but the lifestyle is against what he uh, has designed it to be. So physical, sometimes we experience suffering through physical sickness or financial issues or relationship issues like conflicts, offenses, or just because someone has offended you in church, I will not come to church because I can't stand their mug face, you know. I can't stand them, you know. Every time I come to church, I'm worshipping the Lord. That guy is also worshipping the Lord. How can they worship the Lord when he treated me like that? What a hypocrite, you know. And so because of that, you know, uh, you, you, to you, that's suffering. Real suffering. Or disappointments in life. You know, oh, you get disappointed you, you expected Pastor Chris to, to fast uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but he, he, only, he only fasted lunch, you know. What kind of man of God is that? <laughs> Let me close by sharing and encouraging you with this story. Um, it's a powerful story. Hold on, I just got to get my computer working again. Um, I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but I hope it is. But it's a very encouraging story. It's it's about Dr. Abraham, a well-known cancer specialist, was once on his way to an important conference in another city where he was going to receive an award in the field of medical research. He was so excited about the award and so boarded a plane to the venue. However, two hours after the plane took off, it made an emergency landing at the nearest airport due to a technical problem. Afraid that he would not make it in time to the conference, he immediately uh, went to the reception to make inquiries. He found out that he would have to wait 10 hours for the next flight to his destination. Like some of us, you know, <laughs> we, who've been to Disney World, we've had this experience. He rented a car and drove himself to the conference city, which was four hours, only four hours away by car. Soon after he left, the weather changed. And a heavy storm began. The downpour made it difficult for him to see, so he missed the turn that he was supposed to take. Driving in the heavy rain on a deserted road, feeling hungry and tired, he frantically began to look for any sign of civilization. He came across a small tattered house and knocked on the door. A beautiful lady opened the door. He explained his situation and wanted to to use the lady's telephone, but she had no telephone. She, however, asked him to come inside and wait for the weather to improve. The doctor, he's a cancer specialist, by the way, who was, was hungry and exhausted, so he accepted the offer. The lady offered him something to eat and drink. She asked him to join her in prayers, But he declined because he was an unbeliever. According to him, he believed in hard work, not in prayers. Sitting on the table and sipping his tea, the doctor watched the woman pray many times beside a baby's crib. Feeling that the woman might be in need of help, the doctor asked her what exactly she needed from God and asked if God ever listened to her prayers. When he inquired of the child in the crib, the woman explained that her son was down with cancer and they had been advised to see a doctor named Abraham who would cure him, but she did not have enough money to afford his fees. She said that God had not yet answered her prayers, but said that God would create some way out one day. She added, that she would not allow her fears to overcome her faith. Stunned and speechless, Dr. Abraham began to weep. He was forced to say out loud, God is great and recollected to the woman all the sequence of bad events that happened to him. The malfunction on the plane, the thunderstorm and how he lost his way all of which had happened because God answers prayers, wanted to give him a chance to come out of his bondage of materialistic career pursuit and give some time to to a poor, helpless woman who had nothing but rich prayers. Oh, what a God. God may not answer your prayers your way, but he will always answer his way. Behind the scenes, he will move men, the weather, events, circumstances, etc., in order to work out the best for you. Do not stop trusting. Do not stop hoping. Hold on. This is the message to the church of Smyrna. Many of you may be going through difficult circumstances. My sister Jenny is going through one right now. But I had a dream for her before this happened, like a month ago. And the dream was that my sister, I've never dreamt about my sister Jenny. This is the first time. Not because I don't love her, but you know, I don't remember dreams. But in that dream, my sister was heading towards a disaster. Some kind of Accident, or I can't even remember what the d- disaster was. And, and then she hit that disaster. But somehow towards the end, it turned out okay. It turned out right and good somehow. So I encourage her with that dream of mine. And God is saying that to you. Some of you may be going through some struggles today that uh, you may not understand what is happening as though God is not answering your prayers. And, you know, it says here in Revelations 2.8, it says, these things says the Lord, that He is the faithful, the first and the last. He was dead. Sorry, in Revelations 2.8, it says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Why why does he say that to the church of Smyrna? He's telling the church of Smyrna he's in control because he's the beginning and the end. He, He was dead, dead situation, hopeless situation, but resurrection life came to him. God is able to resurrect your dead situation. God is able to turn things around for you because He's the beginning and the end. I would like those who are in need of prayer this morning, that you are in a desperate situation and you're in not a very good situation in your life, in your emotions, in your uh, mental state, in your uh, whatever, physically even, or financially, and you want the Lord to really touch you today. For you to hand your burdens to Him. I don't know how God is going to answer your prayers. Just like that woman who was praying for the sick son. We, we do not know how God will answer your prayers. But He will. If you need prayers this morning, can you stand where you are right now? Can you stand so that I can pray for you? Yes, various ones. need to surrender to the Lord this morning. You've been discouraged. You've suffered in one way or another. And you need the Lord to come and touch your heart and revive you so that you can be an overcomer and that you will not backslide. You will not turn away but you will turn to Him. Every time you go through a suffering, we should not be turning away from Him, but we should be running into Him. Into Him. Heavenly Father, you see those who are standing up right now. Whatever the issues are, whatever is discouraging them, whatever is causing them to lose faith and trust in You, I break that right now in Jesus' name. I nullify the works of the devil. I break the discouragement. I break the weaknesses that are in them right now. I release strength. I release the character of faithfulness into their hearts. Heal them from all the disappointments and all the offenses and all the pain that they've been through cleanse the memory of these things with the blood of Jesus. We cleanse the memory, heal the memories of these painful experiences of the past. Restore them. Give them a breakthrough even this week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a clap. Amen.